Welcome to another episode of the Obsessed with Real Estate show. I'm your host, Alana George, and I am obsessed with real estate. I'm really excited for another show this week with Megan Ahern, aka the Taddy Investor on Instagram. And that's the underscore Taddy underscore Investor. You can find her, follow her there. That's where I started following her. And she has a really cool story to share that I hadn't heard before. She talks about how her and her husband were so committed to making real estate work. And they moved into a trailer with their one-year-old and moved across the country, 100% committed to making real estate their full-time income. I love it. It's so committed and ballsy or ovary, whatever you want to say. I think It's very inspirational. And then she talks about how she now invests in sober living homes. I like that she's giving back to the community as well as investing in real estate. We can do both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And this perfectly explains that. And this is a perfect example of that. So before we hop into the interview, I just want to have a friendly reminder that you, wherever you are in your investing journey, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. If you're listening to this or any other podcast or any of other episodes on here and feeling behind, just know that you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And if you don't believe me, just believe that I believe it. Okay. If you don't, if you don't believe that, just believe that I believe that. Okay. I believe enough for the both of us that Wherever you are in your journey, you're supposed to be. Whatever challenges you're coming across, you will get through them. You'll power through them as a mom, as an investor, as a real estate agent, as a wife. My plate gets really full and yours probably is too. And just take a deep breath. We're going to power through this. Everything's going to be okay and it's always okay. So that's your friendly reminder to breathe. Schedule one action step in the next week that can move you closer to your investing goals. And you'll be so grateful that you did. Now, enough of that. Let's get on to the show. Wonderful. So I have Megan Ahern here, aka the Taddy Investor on Instagram, whom I follow and I've been following for a long time now. And I'm so excited for you to be on the show, being that I'm a big fan of yours. And we actually did meet at BPCon this year. I don't know if you remember, but it's totally okay if you don't. I'm putting I you on do the spot. remember. I think we talked about eyebrows to Brandon and that was, that was how we met. Yeah, that's, it'll be forever in my memory because you, the tatty investor and I, who doesn't actually have any like body tattoos, but I have my eyebrows tattooed and you had to drag me over to Brandon to show him, Brandon Turner, to show him that, see, people it looks normal. It looks so good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So huge compliment there. And I'm also so excited that you agreed to be on the show because I remember like leaving that and I'm like, man, I was so boring talking to her, like walking around BPCon and there's all of these like investors that like I follow or I've listened to the episodes of, or they're the hosts. Like I totally got like weird, like 
fangirl celebrity shockness, like even meeting Brandon, I didn't even know what to say. I was like, thanks for everything. Like so awkward. Yeah. And- it's it's kind of weird looking, running around with the cool kids club and kind of being in that group to definitely, you feel, you feel small, you feel humbled by it for sure. Yes. And I had a small cold and I had just found out like a couple weeks prior to that, that I was pregnant. And so I had like, I was like super sick and wanting to be at BPCon, but like, you're not supposed to tell people when you're that pregnant early, that early in pregnancy. So it was super weird. I'm like, I'm good. How are you? So thanks for still coming on my show. Even though I was super awkward. <laughs> yeah. I'm super happy to be here. I know yeah. it took a while for me to schedule it too, but I'm, I'm glad to be here. Yeah. I was really surprised. I was like, I'm going to send one follow-up. And then if she just like doesn't, then she doesn't, that's fine. So that is how we met. I'm going to prop up my little microphone here. Mm, There we go. So I look more official and tell me Megan a bit about what got you into real estate. What were you doing before and why you chose investing in real estate? Okay. So Before this, I was in like retail and grocery industry and sales, business to business mostly, but I was not super happy about it. I didn't like the hours. I didn't like the nights and weekends part of of that. And my grandparents were actually in real estate when I was a kid and I guess still are, but just very passively. The only thing I saw from them was that they always had money and they never worked. And so I was like, yeah, I want to do that when I grow up. Yeah. And and it wasn't all rainbows and but- butterflies. But by the time I came around, they were in commercial real estate. So super hands-off, super passive. If you ask them about it, they would be like, yeah, being a landlord sucks. Don't do that. But if you look at their life, you're like, you guys travel and you don't have to work. And I want that. Mm-hmm. So I had to kind of learn it myself outside of them, but that was kind of what gave me the spark to start looking and start learning about it. That's really cool. That's funny that they downplayed it so much. Yeah. Right? And you're like, mm, I don't know, grandma and grandpa, you <laughs> sure have a yeah. good life. That's funny. So tell me about your first deal. Like, where did that come from? What inspired that? And what was it? So we did like a course, like a a guru course paid like 30 grand. We learned just enough to get ourselves into trouble, man. We knew nothing about nothing, but they were like, send out postcards. So we sent out postcards and then we had a guy call us off the postcards and I'm like, this is it. It's happening. And he says, I got this house. It's, I got to move across the country. It's totally trashed. I started demoing the bathroom and I don't want to finish the project. I'm like, these are all the things. And I said, well, where's it at? And he said, Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I said, I've never been to Albuquerque, New Mexico, but if it's a good deal, it's a good deal. So I ended up putting it under contract and trying to wholesale it. And I think I did a good job at trying to like market it, at least without knowing anyone in Albuquerque at that time. So I'd reached out to like a lot of different title companies and lenders in town. And then they connected me with investors that were really truly buying. Mm -hmm. And all of those investors, all those flippers said I had it for too much and that it wasn't a good enough. And I thought, well, they're stupid. And so I'll just flip it myself. Obviously that would be the the rational thing to do. Yeah. So I decided to flip it long distance from Southern California. And we actually ended up losing 20 grand on that deal. So it was absolutely terrible. And then also during that deal, we bought a live-in flip in 
Southern California where we lived and, and just kind of lived in that. We ended up making 80 grand on that deal. So it kind of, it evens out a little bit, but we, we obviously didn't know that we were going to make 80 grand by the time we lost that money. Right. Right. In the moment, I'm sure yeah. that was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like your first one too. It's, it really screwed with our psyche, right? We had to kind of reevaluate and go like, is this what we should be doing? Like, Mm-hmm. did we screw it up because we just suck at life or did we screw it up because like this was just like a fairy tale and it's not real but we we're also going to like so many ria meetings and like meeting with real flippers that were like actually doing it and winning at it we're like well if these guys can do it like we just apparently made every mistake in the book so how about let's just not do that again and we'll do better next time and so we just kept going That's great. So we talk about like that loss being more of like a tuition, like an education and sounds like you're able to take that and not internalize it too much of, as you being failures. And what I'm hearing, and this is what came to my mind too, is that you had like the support, right. Of seeing people succeeding at it or, or, or at least also going through trial and tribulations as well. And I definitely relate to that with my first out-of-state burr that when everything could have gone wrong, did go wrong. But I had been listening to the podcasts, right? And hearing that everybody's first deal pretty much does go wrong, right? It's rare that somebody does hits it out of the park on the first deal, but you just keep going. And so I think I think that's really cool that you both were able to make that make that decision, I guess, together to keep going. Right. That he was yeah. on this is your your husband that was we're on- still on board, me and my husband. Yeah. yeah. So another thing that happened was that he was getting out of the military and he he was in for 12 years and he got medically separated. He had a really bad back injury, so much so that he couldn't stand for more than 15 minutes at a time. Oh my so gosh. all of like the training that he had for his career didn't apply anymore because he couldn't mm-hmm. do a physical job. And so it was kind of like, do you want to go back to school? What do you want to do when you grow up? He didn't like the school idea. That's why he joined the military in the first place. Right. And so we just kind of decided to sell our house in California and and take everything that we owned and pretty much sell everything we owned and move into a travel trailer and then move to Lincoln, Nebraska in that travel trailer. And he got a, a VA disability. So he had some small amount of monthly income that we could went like, we could live off of this if we lived really, really like basic lifestyle. And if we lived in the trailer, so we, we decided that we had that as kind of like a fallback plan and we're just going to go to Nebraska and make real estate work. And so, because I, because we backed ourselves into a corner like that, we had to fight our way out. And, and so we were able to do this kind of like exponential um, thing because we both were then full time in it and just be able to hit the ground running. That is so beautiful how obsessed with real estate you guys became committed. Yeah, we're like, we're me, seriously obsessed. Gives me goosebumps. I feel like I'm super obsessed. My husband's not as obsessed. It's not his thing as much, although he supports it. But I would totally live in a trailer if it means that I could dive headfirst into just investing and building, right? Like, I feel like it's so much easier to build when you don't have as much overhead. And that's pretty much what you guys got rid of and just lived below your means or very frugally, which is really cool. Was that hard? 
Um, it was. We had a one-year-old at the time. It was a 30-foot travel trailer. We literally had all of our belongings would fit in that and our truck. And we would just park it behind whatever flip or whatever project we were working on. And I think at the beginning, it was kind of like this romanticized idea of like, oh, we're going to live in a trailer and it's so great. And then we got to Lincoln and it was like freaking freezing, like blizzard. And we're like, this sucks, man. It, it was hard to keep it warm in the winter. And you had to like pull out and dump every two weeks, or you'd have to take a piece of the fence down to park it in the backyard of a house. And we did that for a year. And then I was pregnant with my second kid. I was about to pop and we we're going to our second winter. I was finally like, all right, that's enough. Like, <laughs> give me a house, man. So, but in that time we bought six houses. One of them was a flip and five were rentals. And, and so by that time we said, Hey, we got the VA disability income. Still, we have some, some nice big cash flow from these student rentals and we can totally afford a house now. So it, it worked for what we were trying to do. That is so cool. Yeah. I love it. That's a really great story of just committing and putting in the, the, the time and sacrificing. That is cool. So tell me from that point. So you, we talked about the first one, your live in flip, and then you had like five, one flip and, and four or five long terms after that. And then where are you at today? So we just kept kind of buying, we were mostly buying student rentals. And then when 2020 hit, we decided that we I thought it was going to be the peak. Obviously I was dead wrong, right? But I thought it was going to be the peak, might crash out. And so I looked at the rentals that we had and I was like, I hate every single one of these. So we sold them all. And we were flipping like crazy during COVID and everything and just kind of building up a little bit of a nest egg and then have started now buying more rentals but like just really, really nice rentals with a better tenant base and not doing the whole college thing because mm -hmm. that's exhausting, like to turn them over all the time. So we, we have more sober living houses and then just more like family type houses for rentals. So we have about nine units right now and we're under contract on another four units. Those will be rentals. Yeah. And we have a flip going, which is usually we have about five flips going at any one time. So we're pretty slow right now, but I think we wanted to kind of take this winter to like rebuild some business systems and mm -hmm. just kind of like purposefully slow down a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. I really, there's a lot to dive into there, especially going from saying that you didn't want to deal with student rentals, but then now you're in sober living, right? Or you have sober homes. How much of a difference experience is it owning the two? So sober living houses, you can do it probably a hundred different ways. Everybody who does, does it differently. Mm -hmm. The way that we do it, we rent to the Oxford house program. And uh -huh. so we rent to the program, the program fills the beds and so it's very hands-off for us. Our lease is a two or a three-year lease with them. And then once they make it in Oxford House, they would like to just kind of re-up re that lease every two to three years and keep it in Oxford House forever, as long as the landlord is taking care of the property, which obviously we do. Mm -hmm. So it's very hands-off for us. We don't have to turn over that lease. They take really, really good care of the properties. It's just, it's it's a nice way of getting that that cash flow without doing a whole lot of work for it. 
okay, that is really interesting. Cause I imagine, cause I had seen on Instagram, but I didn't, I didn't, I guess, dive deep enough, but I had seen that you were doing the sober living houses and I imagine that you were the one filling the beds and hiring the managers and doing all of that grunt work because I've looked into it before because in our area in San Jose, I don't feel like the sober living homes are very quality at all. And sorry if anybody's listening and they run a sober living in San Jose, but just from what I've experienced as they're not very helpful. So I I looked into it, but it didn't seem very profitable. So if you can share, like, how does renting to like the Oxford house compare to just renting it to a long-term? That That's such a hard question to answer because what we look for is usually like eight bed, three bath houses or like, mm-hmm. or a house that's big enough that we can make it into that many bedrooms. So we're trying to get as many bedrooms in there as possible and then still have enough like bathrooms and living space. So they're, they're just these ginormous houses That's like, what would that rent for? You would never rent that to like a family. So it's kind of hard to, to equate that, but they're also kind of easy to find because you can go on and look for like 3000 plus square feet and usually pick them off the MLS because nobody needs like a six bedroom house. So we usually find them on the MLS and then add a couple of bedrooms in the basement, turn them into an eight, three or whatever. And, and then do that. So we have one that we just bought our most recent, we bought it for 155. We put about 60 grand into it. And then the ARV is about 280. Mm-hmm. And so we have none of our own money in it. I think we have like $3,000 in like curtains and appliances or something, mm-hmm. but essentially none of our own money. And it rents for 2,700 and our mortgage is about 16 or 1700. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. And you're doing a service, I think, providing these homes. Yeah. And, and I think around here, I think before we got into it, there were a lot of houses that weren't very nice in the program. Um, A lot of times the, the program outreach workers would kind of reach out to mom and pop landlords and kind of try to sell them on the idea, but the house wasn't necessarily made for that purpose. And what we've kind of wanted to change that, change that up in the way that we kind of burr our houses is I want to go in and like completely remodel it for these guys the same way I would any other burr. Mm -hmm. And then also add those bedrooms, add whatever features that they need to like really maximize the space for them and find them a house that's like, this will work. This will be a great house for you guys. And so then the the guy who runs the whole Midwest area, his name is Dan. He came over and he's like, this is the best house we have in the whole Midwest. Like we should do this more. I'm like, yeah, let's do this more. <laughs> I think we should do it more too. More, yeah. So we've, we've opened four of them so far. That is so cool. Yeah. And obviously what got you into that? Was there somebody else that was doing that? And you said, Hey, that's a great idea. Or was it just that you saw a need? Obviously, or maybe not obviously, but my <laughs> husband and I are, or are alcoholics and addicts. And so we've been sober for about eight years now. So that's obviously something that's super near and dear to my heart, but We got connected with the program specifically because we flipped a house and the person buying it was, they paid cash. They were an investor. And I was like, how does that, 
how do those numbers, how can I flip this house and the numbers work out as right. uh, an investment deal? And their, the, their agent said, I don't know, they're like turn into a sober living house or something. So I just thought, hmm, that's kind of interesting and put it in the back of my mind. And then a few months later, I have this guy working for me in our construction projects. And I was kind of giving him a ride back and forth from the jobs, which probably not the best business sense, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. And we were giving him a ride home to a hotel at first, a little motel. And he was paying by the week and he had just got out of rehab and stuff. And then one day he goes, oh, I got a new place. It's over here at this one address. And I was like, oh, I flipped that house. That's a sober living house. It's like, tell me all about the program. So I got to hear about that program and how it worked from the inside, like the, mm. from the tenant side of it first. And it made me very, very comfortable with it because it just had such a good culture and then yeah. such a like low rate of relapse. I was like, man, I want to be a part of that. We had a big five bedroom house go vacant in the winter. And so I reached out to that, that guy that was working for us. It's like, hook me up with whoever runs these things so I can kind of see if they want another house. And they ended up running that house out. And that was our first one. Oh my gosh. You're giving me such like shiny object syndrome right now. Like, I'm like, can we hurry up and do this call so I can go look and find these houses here and do the same. Yeah. The best part too, is like, I'll reach out to the guys there, there have like outreach workers. And so I'll have them walk the house and they'll have already agreed to rent the house before I even buy it. So they'll tell me like, oh yeah, let's do this. Let's add a wall here. Let's make this from a half bathroom into a full bathroom. And then yeah, it'll be perfect for us. And I'm like, all right, great. So if, if I do those things, what will you rent it for? And they're like $3,000. Okay, cool. So then I can put it under contract. And I could tell my lenders it's already rented for $3,000. As soon as I get it done, these guys are moving in. So it just helps like smooth out the whole process. That is so cool. That is really, really cool. And I'm trying to think of like specific things because I've walked through. So I've shared on Instagram and I think I've even shared on the podcast as well that I'm sober. And just past February, I celebrated 10 years. So very wow about that and and new and beautiful, better way of life. And so this is also a topic that's really near and dear to my heart. And I've had sponsees where I've visited them in their SLEs and kind of seen the lay of the land. They're a little different setup than just, they are regular homes, but like you said, there's added bedrooms and a lot of times they're sharing rooms, right? So for it's, it seems like it's still profitable slash it's, you're doing good, a good service, even companies like the Oxford house, or like here, there's a lot of individual operators that get to rent the rooms by the bed or rent, rent by the bed. Right. I would imagine there's things specific like bathroom count as well. Maybe an extra fridge, if it's a big house, right. Extra kitchen amenities, stuff like that. Meeting rooms, living family rooms that are large enough for gatherings. Are there any other things that they look for specifically? That's pretty much it. If it's a woman's house, they like to have around seven to nine women in there. If it's a men's house, they want like 10 to 15. I think the ladies are just a little bit more drama. So they like to keep a little (laughs) less of them in one place. And so if it is a women's house too, they'll have one, they'll allow one woman to have the women and their kids. And so that, that mom essentially will stay in a main level bedroom. So the kid doesn't have to go up and down stairs. So they want the bathroom that's on that level to have a tub. So there's some little bit different requirements for a lady's house. 
we've only ever had men's houses. I think, feel like they're easier to make the numbers work because you can usually charge a little more because you're getting more guys in there. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about the dynamic of how many you could fit in there. And of course, yeah, them maybe being more drama, having more stuff that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, And then, like you said, with the refrigerators, like we try to have at least, at least two, sometimes three refrigerators in there, um, mm -hmm. two laundry facilities, even if it's like right next to each other in the basement or maybe like one on one level and one on a different level. Yeah. Um, And then enough parking for everybody too, because we don't want to be like a burden on the neighborhood. Yeah. So it's very dormy. You brought up a good point though, about being a burden on the neighborhood. Is that something that you've ever come across investing so far? Because there are people that don't really understand how these work and they're like, not in my backyard. I don't want to live in a neighborhood with a sober living house. Is that something you've encountered? It is. And it's something that the program has encountered. The last project that we did, we had a the guy next door was actually really hostile about the whole situation. I was there dropping off like a vanity at nine at night. Also not great business <laughs> advice, but whatever. And he comes over to me and he's obviously drunk. He's obviously high. You just, you could smell it on him. And he's just flaming mad about the fact that we're going to have these Oxford house moving into the neighborhood. There's kids in this neighborhood and he's yelling at me. He's just totally belligerent. And I'm like, what do you, what exactly do you think that this place is? And he thought it was like child molester house. Right. <laughs> so he didn't realize that the Oxford house was like just alcoholics or addicts and sober alcoholics and addicts at that. So I was like, Brian, you're gonna be the yeah. bad influence on my tenants. I'm worried more about you, buddy. You stay over there on your side of the fence. Yeah. But sometimes they just don't understand it. And then once they do understand or once they see it and they see like, oh, these guys are actually out here mowing the lawn every week, taking good care of the place, not acting a fool, then they kind of come around to it. If the city gets involved for like code violation or what. So here in Lincoln, we have a code. I don't know if this is that way where you're at, but no more than three unrelated people can live in one house. And so a lot of times neighbors will turn in these Oxford houses to the city to say, well, there's multiple unrelated people, right? There's 10 guys living there, but they fall under a different classification because of the disability Mm -hmm. of being an alcoholic, right? That's a disability. So they're protected under that kind of ADA legislation. So the Oxford house attorneys or law department, whatever, will step in on our behalf and fight that. And the city will drop it. Right. That's happened before. That makes sense. Rude, but yeah, people can be. That is cool. I feel like, yeah, if anything, the only thing I can think of, of like why, if I didn't want to live by a sober living, sober living is that. In my experience, a lot of people in recovery smoke cigarettes, right? There's always ashtrays. People are outside studying and smoking cigarettes. So that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, we definitely look for places that have like cool hangout spots and like fire pit and like back porch or deck or something because there are always going to be smokers out there. And that's probably the only like issue that I have with my with my sober living houses is the fire 
the smoke alarms are always taken down. So when we go to change the filters in the HVAC, I'm like, come on guys, every single bedroom, you got the smoke alarm down with the batteries out. Cause they're, they don't smoke in the house, but they'll vape in the house and that will set the smoke alarm. Oh, mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of vaping. Yeah. A lot of vaping. Okay. That is so cool. How would you, I guess, advise somebody who wanted to go that route, how to get into it? You could reach out to the Oxford house directly. And is just, that nationwide? Uh, that is nationwide. Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah. Some states have outreach workers. So they have more of like a paid employee type presence that their job is to open new houses and to check up on the current houses that they do have. And so you would just need to get in contact with that person and then see, okay, do you guys have a need for it? Or maybe they'd say, we don't have a need in this little town, but we have a need in this town. And you can kind of work that all out with them. That's really cool. That's a not much more laid out plan. When I was looking at it, it was like, basically we're going to be owner with a friend, owner operators, right? And so it was a lot, a lot of work. So many times a manager in the house is also somebody that's in recovery, right? So there's like managing in the managers and just a lot of, a lot of balls in the end, as well as different like types of sober living. Cool. So thanks for that deep dive. That is so, I'm going to like Google that after this. I'm so inspired. So you have, you said right now about nine doors, you're doing a flip. What are your challenges now that you're at where you're at? We heard your challenges when you started, right? With where you've grown, what kind of challenges are you facing now? One thing was like at the end of last year, kind of as the rates went up and it was still, we had a bit, lot of big projects from like that COVID era where prices just skyrocketed on all the materials and a right. lot of our subs raised their prices and we couldn't get them to get in during the scheduled time because half the crew had COVID or whatever. We just had so many challenges with that, with some of our projects from the last year. And we, so we lost some money on one house. We lost about 20 grand on a house last year. And then we broke even on about three houses. But what we had also done, I had bought a big duplex and I was like, oh, well, I'm going to make this money on flipping all these houses. And so I'll just put that money into these duplex units. It wasn't a great deal. Like it didn't pay for itself, but it was just like a really cool asset that I wanted. And so I bought it thinking I would make money and then didn't make money on those other flips. And so it was just like not a very conservative way of doing it. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up putting like stuff on credit cards and having all kinds of problems. So we have like, or we had at one point, $150,000 of credit card debt. And mm -hmm. so that was like our biggest issue, I would say for the last year or so. And so now we're doing our business like significantly different. We're doing it more like a profit first model. Uh, mm -hmm. and we're really setting aside like a lot of cash. We're also trying to pay off all that. Um, that's not really tied to projects. So it just sucks every time you pay it off, but you're kind of like, woohoo, but also there's like no return on it. It just totally sucks. But yeah, so that's pretty much our biggest kind of struggle right now, but we're working through it. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely see that. And I'm a real estate agent also and had investors go and put their homes on the market, their flips around May and the market just like stalled with interest rates rising and it was hard all around. Nobody was buying. So I think, I mean, 
a lot of people are in the same boat and having to float those expenses in one way or another has hit the investor community hard and a totally off topic. But I mean, <laughs> California is just wild. I, I thought that the eviction moratorium was done everywhere. It's not. East Bay, it's still going strong here. So poor investors, I, I feel bad for them that are still not receiving rent since 2020. Like people, investors can't evict from back from like COVID. Yes. Are you saying moratorium? Still. That's yeah. not how it is in Nebraska anymore. I would imagine like nowhere else except for maybe New York. Like that's the case that you still don't have a right to kick people out or expect money from them for it. So anyways, uh, that was a semi off topic, but it definitely hit a lot of people hard. So tell, tell me about a little bit of a brag, something that you're very proud of yourself that you don't. We don't always get to toot our own horns, but this is your moment. So go ahead. Okay. So I can't take all the credit for what the success we've had on the flipping and the whole thing, right? That's been me and my husband. Um, but I also own Acorn Home Staging, so staging business. And so we, or me, it's just me, that's my <laughs> solo business. I still me. talk about it like it's a we. But that's my business and I've really grown that. We staged like 80 houses last year and I think we'll probably do probably close to double that this year. Um, And I'd like to franchise that business because it's amazing. It's super profitable. I think it's like a great business for women. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited about that. That's kind of my brag. That is a huge brag. I love it. I couldn't do staging. I feel like I don't. Hey, good. Look at your cute house behind you. Thank you, Home Goods. <laughs> some of these items are like some like this. I bought staging for a house, and then I just kept it. But whatever. I love my stager. Shout out to my stager tie for all my listings. But that's like that's a really cool job to have, and the fact that you're doing that. And it's funny, you and I have the opposite problem as far as like you say we when talking about your business. I say we when I'm talking about my husband's business. Like his business is my business and my business is mine. <laughs> yeah. My husband gets mad at me too because I'll always say, like, oh yeah, I did this, I did that. And he's like, What about me? Like, oh really? I, I helped you with half of it. And I'm like, Yeah, yeah, that's true. But forgot to say we. <laughs> but I'm saying we when it's not we just throwing it around. He gets yeah. credit for some things he didn't do. It all evens out. I think it does. Year. Yeah. You kind of already semi mentioned a book recommendation with profit first, but are there any books that you recommend right now or that you're, you're currently reading? I'm currently reading a start with why, which I think is a good concept, but is incredibly boring book. I don't know if you've read that one. No. Oh my goodness. So it's like, it just repeats the same thing over and over. So it's a good concept. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, one I always recommend is like, what's called getting things done. And mm-hmm. it was the way of like very nuts and bolts, organizing your life, organizing all of your little to do's in a way that is the most like productive. And so I started doing that when I started investing while I was still working a regular job. And it just helped me like wrap my brain around all that. So you don't have these open loops. So you lay in bed and you just start thinking the same thing over and over. It just helps you to kind of capture all those ideas and then actually do. That sounds right up my alley. And I'm surprised that I haven't read or listened to that. Getting things done. Okay. 
I'm going to add that to the show notes. So if you're listening and you also want to listen, watch or listen or read it, you can find that in the show notes because I will be ordering it as well. Cool. Thanks for that. What is something that you are currently obsessed with? And I'm, it can be real estate related or not. It sounds like us both being alcoholic addicts, we're a little obsessive and it can change from week to week. What are you currently obsessed with? Yeah, it does. It changes really fast. And I'm, I'm either all or nothing. Like that's the addict in me, right? Is like, I'm not addicted to drugs or alcohol anymore, but I'm super addicted to like flipping houses and mm-hmm. all the things. I think my newest obsession is AI and I'm not a techie person at all. Yeah. I've been totally obsessed with all the things you can do. And maybe it's like the productive person in me, but I'm like, oh my gosh, I can make a thousand captions for every post I could ever want to post. And I'll just do that. And then I just go like way down the rabbit hole on it. And it's probably not even that helpful, but yeah, it's pretty helpful. My husband hates it though. Absolutely hates it. I'm like, oh, Look, really? babe, you can make a rap song with AI. And he's like, stop, stop. <laughs> me. Oh, I'm going to look into that. I did not know you can make a rap song with AI. I'm like barely dipping my toes in and seeing people posting like AI Canva hacks. And I've been saving them yeah. obsessively. And I've scheduled with my real estate team. We're we're planning a Canva day or like a AI day of just like really diving in and getting some stuff done. And so, yeah, I, I would say that's a good obsession. I like that. I, Yeah, it's super cool. I Friday night, I'm such an addict. It's so bad. It's okay. I just worked from like noon until 11 o'clock at night. I just kind of moved around the city. I go to different coffee shops and stuff for a little change of pace, but I literally just scheduled out all of like the, cause I'm also a realtor. So I, if wow. I get something under contract, I'll be like, okay, yeah, I just got my buyer client under contract, blah, 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 this whole caption. But I wanted to be able to have just a list of all of those captions so that my VA could take the caption, put it with the picture of my client or whatever of the house, and then just post it and schedule it all out for me. So I just ran through and did like tons of captions. Amazing. Amazing. I'm jealous. Also, how old are your kids now? Oh man, they're, they're three, four, and six. Oh, you had another one. Yeah. Yeah, I did <laughs> real quick after the last one. So at, at some point we had a newborn, a one-year-old and a three-year-old and it was like complete hell. Like I would not recommend that. It was terrible, Yeah, <laughs> but they're, they're at a funner age now where they could all talk and it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a fun age. You're probably out of diapers ish now. So getting close. No, not even one of them is out of diapers. It's so bad. The other two won't. (laughs) They're like, no, I'd rather not. Thanks. Oh my gosh. (laughs) We shall see. So my, my three-year-old at two, she told me the diapers that I was buying, that I was buying her were ugly and Mm -hmm. she would throw them in my face. So I'm like, hmm, maybe it's time to potty train. <laughs> and she was all about it and she potty trained just fine. And that was a blessing and um, not a struggle that we have. I'll be having a boy in April. So my boy is four and I'll tell him to go on. And he's like, no, no, cool. Just stay a baby forever. Then you can never go to school. <laughs> just stay a baby forever. It's fine. 
It's uh, so hot right now. Yeah. I've heard that boys are harder, so I'm not looking forward to that, but my daughter was super easy. She like basically told me like all the kids at school. Cause I started sending her, this is probably off topic. I sent her to a Montessori as a daycare thing. And there, as she said, everybody else was using the potty. So she's going to start using the potty. And that was it. Like we did some sticker charts and ugly, di- ugly. I picked the wrong Mickey mouse diapers one day. And that's awesome. We send, we send our oldest to a school called Acton Academy. Have you heard of that? Oh, I have. Yeah. Yeah. We love it. And so she had to be potty trained before she went there. And so that was like a bribe thing. Like, well, you want to go to school, you got to lose the diapers and threw it off that day. She was liberated. There we go. But yeah. We love the acting thing. It's so entrepreneurial and she just absolutely loves it. She's thriving there. Yes. I heard about the acting school. I, I forgot if it was like a podcast, but it was years ago, years before even like planning to have a kid. I don't even think we we're like married. Um, Maybe we weren't even dating. I don't know, but I'm like, that sounds amazing. An entrepreneurial school for kids, the lesson plans and stuff seem great. And when I have a kid, so I'm glad that you brought that up because I kind of forgot about it. Yeah. Relook into it. Maybe there's one over there. Yeah. It's so cool. I think that there is, I'm going to look it up. And if I find anything that'll be in the show notes as well, anybody else have kids or plan on having kids in their lifetime and want to look into an entrepreneurial school, private school for them. So moving on from potty talk, is there any fun facts that you can share with us that maybe people wouldn't know right off the bat that you don't share often? Let us have it. Fun facts. When I was younger, when I was in high school, I used to race the Baja 1000. So that's like a, the longest nonstop point to point race, off-road race in the world. Amazing. And I did that in like a Ford Bronco, like an old classic Ford Bronco. Super fun. That is really cool. How, did you do it like every year or one time? There was one year that I went and I pitted for the team and then I wanted to drive. I wanted to drive and I wanted to race. And so they said, well, whoever works on it, the truck, the most through the year gets to drive. So I just worked on it the most. I got obsessed with that for a little bit and was up there every day after school and every weekend. And we would just try to break the truck is really what you do. So you take it out and like, just take it out on the weekends and completely destroy it, jump it, just try to smash the thing. And then whatever part broke, you would totally rebuild and, and refabricate the parts and make it stronger. And so I look at that later and I'm like, that's exactly how I run my business. Like we just go hard. We go too fast. We break things. And then we just kind of limp it back and we, we build it better and we build it stronger on those parts that broke. So I think it was just like a really good learning experience for me as a kid. That's a really good analogy. And I like that you recognize that that is an okay business strategy that works because I feel like that's what I do with my life and business. It's like, I'm just going to do this because I want to do it and things are going to go wrong and break and then we're going to fix it and then we're going to move on. And it doesn't have to be perfect before setting out. You would just do what I just do. I just want to do it. So that is really cool. And I love that. You're pretty handy then. Do you have like a a background in automotive? 
That's the background that, and I had a, I had a 69 Ford Bronco. That was my first vehicle. And I bought that. It was a old rust bucket behind a barn somewhere and then rebuilt it from the ground up with my uncles and my dad learned, learned automotive from that. And then just building the race truck. Wow. You were like really cool. (laughs) Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Cool points for sure. So if people wanted to get in contact with you or follow you in your journey, where can people do that? The best place is Instagram. My handle is the taddy investor with underscores between the words, the underscore taddy underscore investor. Yes. Make sure you're following the right one. There's probably imposters out there now. I don't know if I'm that cool yet. Maybe there are. I should go be friends with them. Go follow them. Yeah. There's opportunity if anybody's listening, if there aren't (laughs) imposters. Yeah, that sounds good. And you've been posting some really cool content lately of interviews and stuff. I've noticed that uh, with you and your husband, right? Yeah. Yeah. Some podcasts we like to do together. Yeah. Yeah. You you let him come on and- Yeah. <laughs> this wee thing. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much, Megan. I am so honored that you came on the show and that I got to pick your brain and get to know you a little better. And you sh- shared your secrets with us so that we can look into doing the same and be successful as well. I look forward to following you and your continued success. Thanks for having me. Well, that was our interview. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it like, subscribe, support the show for more content like this. And if you are so inclined, I'd love a five-star review. It'll help me in the algorithm and reach more people. That would be wonderful. If you'd like to connect with the show, feel free to go to the website, obsessedwithrealestateshow.com, where you can find all of the resources, all the book recommendations, links to those, as well as submit to be a guest on the show. You can find me on Instagram, follow and reach out at Alana George underscore real estate. I'd love if you reached out and said hello, as well as if you are interested in syndications, my website, clearconnectioncapital.com has a lot of information on what syndications are, why they're beneficial as real estate investments. So check that out. I will see you on the next episode.